When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until four, so. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The Volume. This is Boxing with Chris Manning. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. Welcome back. Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network, Colin Cowherd's Podcast Network. We are live right now on AMP. If you don't want to wait until Wednesday to listen to the pod, you can listen live on Tuesday nights on AMP. You can join the conversation there. Jump in the comments section. Make it a free-for-all. A reminder, we are nominated for the top podcast in the combat sports category. You can go to sportspodcastgroup.com. To vote, there's also a direct link pinned to my Twitter page, at SI Chris Mannix. You can vote there. Uh, later in the show, we'll be joined by Shakur Stevenson, two-division world champion, who will make his debut in the 135-pound division this weekend. Had a very interesting conversation with Shakur. Very interesting. Make sure to check that out later in the show. But first, ESPN Boxing Insider, friend of the podcast, one of those plugged-in guys in all of boxing, Mike Coppinger is back on the show. Mike, let's let's jump right into the, I would call it startling reporting uh, earlier on Tuesday. Ring Magazine, ringtv.com, reporting that uh, a Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence fight is a done deal for June 17th in Las Vegas. There have been, you know, rumors, substantial ones, substantiated ones, that the two sides have re-engaged over the last few weeks. But this is the first we've heard that they've reached an agreement on a deal. Uh, what do you make of this, and where do you think we stand with Spence Crawford as we record? I, I don't believe there is a done deal. I was told emphatically that there is no done deal, that the talks are continuing. I reported on ESPN, I believe, last month that Crawford and Spence have been re-engaging, as you said, that they got on the phone together and hammered out what they felt was a fair first split on the phone together. 
but there's no deal really until this thing gets papered and they agree on everything. I mean, look how far along we were last time, right? They had agreed to pretty much everything outside of the, you know, the, the transparency that Crawford wanted that he felt wasn't there because he was working off of a, a purse split and not a guarantee. So, and I also told that the June 17th date is not even the working date. That's what I was told by somebody directly involved. So we'll see. Let's hope. And just like you, Chris, I don't think I'm going to believe this fight is happening until they're actually in the ring. Forget about the weigh-in. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you legitimately got to have an official announcement to believe this fight is is happening. And even then, get in the ring, fellas. Uh, I, I would say, I, I do know that Alexis Rocha, who is the mandatory for Bud Crawford's 147-pound title, is under the impression that Spence Crawford is happening. Um, I've spoken to people uh, close to Rocha who have said to me that they are planning another fight for late May with the hopes that they'll get a world title shot against Crawford, vacant belt, Spence, whatever, later in the year. So that tells me there's something here, Mike. There's some traction here that hasn't been there uh, not since you know last year when they first started negotiating. It made me wonder, this is pure speculation on my part, but it made me wonder... Like, maybe Bud Crawford got to look at some of the financials that he would be facing in a fight with Alexis Rocha. Like, it's a fine fight. It's a mandatory fight. But it's not a ton of money there. At least not guaranteed for Bud Crawford to fight Alexis Rocha. It made me wonder if that caused Crawford to re-engage on this spent stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's only so many players that can come in from the outside with crazy bundles of money, right? For matchups that aren't anywhere near 50-50. So... And so from everything I've heard, there is a lot of optimism that that is going to happen this time around. I mean, Spence was prepared to fight Keith Thurman at 154 pounds. They had even notified the WBA that was happening. And then that fight was never announced. So yeah, Crawford and Spence have been talking. They're trying. I just don't think it's at a point right now where we could say this is done. But let's hope. Do you think, yeah, uh, do you think if it does get done, and, and now we're just kind of at the guessing territory if it does get done, but if it does, like, is this still a compelling fight. Like, we know it's a major event. It will be one of the biggest fights in all of boxing. Right up there with Tank Ryan early in the year, if Canelo fights Benavidez later, whatever happens the rest of 2023. That's a major event. It's certainly the biggest fight that can be made pound-for-pound guys in the welterweight division. Um, But Crawford's 36 years old, and he has been a -a once-a-year fighter for really the last four years. Spence just turned 33, and ironically, he will have a longer layoff than Crawford would be coming off because he hasn't fought since last April when he beat Jordanis Ugas, and he really hasn't been the same guy since those the first car accident, the major car accident. He had another car accident. He had an eye injury a couple of years ago. Like, I, my, my Mayweather-Pacquiao tingle, Mike, is kind of going off here when it comes to Spence Crawford. Do you feel like it's still, we're still within that window where this is a great fight in the ring and not just a great event outside it? I mean, you certainly make some great points about the inactivity of both fighters. They're advanced, not advanced age, but they're advancing ages. But I think it is still very much a compelling fight given their style clash, given how much these guys like to mix it up in action fights. You never see either guy in a boring fight that I can remember. Um, Crawford looks really good against, I think, a solid welterweight. And David Avanesi in December, spectacular knockout. I don't know how many people saw it, but it happens. 
Well, I the, think I do. Well, they well they saw the knockout. <laughs> I've got a pretty good idea. We know they saw the actual. No, no, knockout. I think I, I think I know. Saw, I think I know how many people bought on pay per view, but I'll leave that alone. <laughs> but you know, Errol Spence, Dennis Ugas is a top fighter. That was a great win. He stops him, and I think if Crawford fights Spence, it's gonna look. Spence is gonna be trying to you know work on the inside. Uh, you know, exert his strength in there, exert his size. Terrence Crawford is a switch hitter. I think it's a great fight, but it's got to happen this year. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the window. Um, is your if you had look again? We're at this point. We're now both acknowledging they're talking. Uh, gut feeling: Do we get it? Does this get done before the end of the year? I'm gonna say yes. I I, I would, yeah. but I would have said yes if you said the same thing to me last, you know, one year ago. But given how many times now they've been down this road, you have to feel like they're, you know, if they're going a second, third time around, that's got to be more advanced, right? Remember, maybe with Pacquiao. They have been in talks, didn't happen. Back in talks, nothing. And then finally it got done. And I think the same for Fury and Usyk, where you had the failed talks this time around. Maybe it gets done for later in the year. There's at least a foundation to build on, right? Yeah, and again, the Rocha thing is interesting to me because he had the power to enforce his mandatory status. Like, he could force a purse bid. That never came to fruition I don't know all the details behind it, but the fact that Alexis Rocha is looking at other fights for May, uh, that tells me there's something substantive, some meat on the bone here with Spence uh, Crawford uh, finally getting to to that point. So we'll see. Hopefully uh, for everybody, it gets across that finish line. All right. I want to talk about the Anthony Joshua fight this past weekend. Joshua returned the first time since his second loss to Alexander Usyk. He gets a decision win over Jermaine Franklin. I got to be honest, Mike, I wasn't that impressed with Joshua. Like, I went into that fight believing this was a guy that didn't trust his chin. I finished watching that fight believing this was a guy that doesn't trust his chin. Everything he threw with power was one shot, then get out of the way, block. He didn't engage like the Joshua we've seen engage against Charles Martin and Dillian White and Vladimir Klitschko. It feels like that guy's gone. He's on his third trainer now in his last three fights. They got the job done. They got the win. But I didn't walk away from that thinking Anthony Joshua is back on top of the heavyweight division. In fact, I walked away from that thinking, man, if Deontay Wilder was going to get Anthony Joshua in a fight, now's the time. If Tyson Fury wants Anthony Joshua to fight, now's the time. Not for Anthony Joshua, but for Wilder and for Fury. What did you think? I mean, for me, it is eerie how similar this situation, this version of Joshua reminds me of compared to the early 2000s version of Vladimir Klitschko after that knockout loss to Corey Sanders and then again after the Lehman Brewster loss where Klitschko and Joshua both jab and grab, similar sizes, right? Both 6'6", six, six, like 250, uh, safety first. They don't want to jump into the spaces necessary to both score knockouts and take those kind of damaging punches. And I don't think Klitschko ever get, regained the confidence in his chin. And certainly Joshua hasn't since that first knockout loss to Randy Ruiz in June 2019. I mean, even go back to his last knockout win of Kubrat Pulev in December 2020. Like in that fight, it seems like every time Pulev landed a decent shot, Joshua was a little skittish. And maybe this is like the baseball, you know, the boxing version of the yips that we've seen with Chuck Knobloch and tickers in the NFL where he just can't get past the mental block. I don't know. Yeah, I just don't think he's ever going to trust his chin again. You know, whether that happened uh, with the Ruiz knockout or whether the seeds were planted two fights earlier uh, when he fought Vladimir Klitschko. Because Klitschko, that was a war. And even though Anthony Joshua came out on top of it, I've said this before. Joshua came out of that fight saying to people, I don't want to fight like that anymore. I don't want to be in, in those types of fights. That felt like the day 
the destroyer that we'd seen for so many years was kind of gone uh, from existence. Uh, I, I don't get the sense that Eddie Hearn, Barry Hearn, the people involved in Joshua's career are that motivated to make a Fury fight happen. Maybe Joshua can push it. Maybe Joshua can say, look, now's the time. We got to get it done. But I, I mean, before, you know, th- before this past fight, I would have made Fury a substantial favorite against Joshua. Now I make him an even bigger favorite. Like, Tyson Fury against this version of Anthony Joshua, he wins, and he wins convincingly, and he might even stop him, you know, if, if Joshua engages on a certain level. Uh, I, I just think Matchroom and Joshua are crazy if they don't take at least one more fight before going into a mega fight against Fury or Deontay Wilder. Yeah, I mean, the Fury-Joshua fight, for as long as they're relevant, and it's probably going to be a long time, especially in the UK, is going to be a mega fight. But I don't think, you know, going back to your Spence Crawford question, I don't think it's all that compelling. I'm not dying to see... Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua. I would much rather see Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder because Wilder has vulnerabilities too. And maybe, you know, well, you have Joshua against a big puncher. You have Joshua maybe outboxing Wilder while he starts to stay away from Wilder's big shot. I just don't see what Joshua can do against Tyson Fury. Because even Vladimir Klitschko that we talked about, the early that version where you're safety first, it was very effective the way he did it. He would, you know, tangle you up, wrestle you, and it was boring, but he would, you know, win rounds with ease. And Joshua... I thought he won 10-2, so yeah, he won. But Jermaine, is Jermaine Franklin really all that good? I mean, maybe you get Joshua uh, a fight with Dillian White. I'm sure Joshua beats Dillian White. But where does he go from here? Yeah, you know, both Vladimir Klitschko and Lennox Lewis benefit from Emmanuel Stewart. Like, Emmanuel Stewart, if he were still alive today, would have been a great coach oh, no. for Anthony Joshua because he would have taught him that Vladimir Lennox style and it would have been boring, but it would have been more effective. And he probably would pick up some knockouts. Like, Klitschko, over the years, mm-hmm. they weren't spectacular. They weren't wars. But he was winning some fights by knockout because he'd land that big right hand behind a sharp jab, and he'd get guys out of there. Joshua, hey, look, Derek James, I want to give him more than one training camp with AJ to sure. put kind of any kind of stamp on it. But Derek James doesn't train guys like Emmanuel Stewart did, at least not heavyweights like Emmanuel Stewart did. I don't know if there's... There's a solution here to get AJ to a level. He's 33 years old, too, to get him to that level where he can, you know, compete at a Wilder Fury level. Yeah, and watching the fight on Saturday, it seemed like Joshua was very effective at times. Like when he would, the very rare instances where he doubled up on the jab, I thought he did well. But then he would just go back to throwing one jab here. 15 seconds later would be another jab. A few different times he was digging to the body, and I thought that was pretty effective as well. But it just, he just didn't seem like he could commit to doubling up the jab and pumping it up. And like you said with Klitschko, he would soften you up with the jab over 12 rounds. And then kind of like by the championship rounds, you were so bruised up, he would just finish you off with the right hands. Yeah, and for Joshua, like I didn't see enough body work in that fight. And go- going to the body, it's very effective. It can be a great strategy. But you do expose yourself a little bit. This goes back to the chin thing. Like... I just don't think AJ wants to leave that chin exposed anymore. I just don't think he believes that, you know, after the Ruiz knockout and getting buckled a couple of times by Usyk in in their fights, uh, I don't think he wants to do it. I just don't think he wants to engage. I think he wants to try to win fights behind a decent jab, the occasional right hand, and if he gets a guy hurt, maybe he can finish him off. But Jermaine Franklin was never in trouble in that fight. Like, he was beaten, fair and, fair and square. Joshua, fair play to him. But Jermaine Franklin was never in trouble. Um, I, I do think the Dillian White fight makes a lot of sense. Like, Dillian White, look, I, I think Dillian White is 
more gone than AJ at this point. Like, Dillian's been knocked out in a couple of fights in the last few years. Pavetkin got him. Tyson Fury got him. This is not the same guy that Joshua fought seven, eight years ago either. I think that's the perfect opponent because there'll be a lot of bad blood going into that fight. Maybe that'll light a fire inside Anthony Joshua. He can go back to Texas, keep working with Derek James for another three months. Uh, And then you can have a big domestic fight, maybe at Wembley Stadium, between two popular guys uh, in the UK. That that and that's a fight I think if AJ wins, and he could win spectacularly. I mean th- Dillian White didn't learn how to block the uppercut. Like <laughs> that's still there. Like that that that's still uh, available to opponents. Uh if he can win by spectacular knockout, maybe that will be the kind of confidence boost he needs to push him towards a fury fight. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's a, the right fight. I mean, that was an excellent fight when I fought, I think I met it in 2015 or 2016. It was an excellent fight. Dillian White hurt Joshua in that fight. Joshua knocked him out, I believe, in round seven. Um, but, you know, I think the British heavyweight that we should be talking about when it's not Tyson Fury is really Joe Joyce. I'm so impressed by him, and I, w- I want to see what that guy can do. Yeah, I don't think AJ wants any part of that, though, right now. Like, Joe Joyce has a granite chin and walks you down. Like, that's not a fight I'd be looking for if I was Eddie Hearn and Anthony Joshua. I mean, that look, we've heard talk about Joe Joyce against Tyson Fury. Are you buying any of that? Like, Tyson Fury's still without a dance partner. No mandatory for him at the moment. Are you buying that Fury-Joyce could happen this summer? I, I am buying that. I think there's a I think there's a better than good chance that we see either Fury versus Usyk or Fury versus Joe Joyce this year. I'd be surprised if we got out of 2023 without at least one of those matchups. And I think Joe Joyce is really, I, I want to say, close to an excellent fighter. I mean, you know, he doesn't have the prettiest this or that. But like you said, it's like blunt force trauma with him. He's just rolling right forward. It seems like it doesn't matter how many punches he takes. They don't. Even, they just bounce off him. I think that's a tough fight for anybody right now. It's going to be a lot of fun watching him fight Zhang next week. So more Joe, more Joe Joyce, I want to say. Usyk, I don't think that would have been necessarily the easiest fight for, for Usyk when he was supposed to fight Joe Joyce. I, I might I might lean toward Joe Joyce in that one. Call me crazy. I, I think Usyk, because he's always in tremendous shape and he moves well and he's comfortable going the distance in those types of fights, I'd probably make him the favor because I think he'd stay out of the way more than Joseph Parker did and more than some of the other guys that Joyce has fought uh, did. But you have to be in 12-round shape to fight Joe Joyce because he's going to keep coming. I remember watching the Parker fight, and it just amazed me. Parker would land a combination, and then he'd get out thinking they have a couple of seconds to kind of regroup. Joyce was right there, right (laughs) back on top of him and kept wearing him down and wearing him down. And Parker's got a good chin. He went 12 with Anthony Joshua. He's got a good chin. And Joe Joyce just mowed him down in the second half. Uh, of that fight so yeah hopefully we get it uh, I think Fury Joyce is a great fight I think Joshua White would be a great fight in the summertime and maybe you can start to build a little more towards a Fury and uh, AJ clash uh one other thing that was in the news this week was we got an announcement of the undercard for Ryan Garcia against Tank Davis I didn't have huge expectations Mike because when you have a fight that costs this much money the undercard generally pays the price for it. I think that's what we're seeing here. Um, I do like the Gabe Rosado, Bektamir yeah. Melikuziev rematch. I'm shocked, frankly. Like Gabe has been telling me for years, man, that he wasn't going to take that fight. He had no interest in facing Bektamir Melikuziev again. They must have made him an offer he couldn't refuse to get uh, on that card. But David Morell's in kind of a walkover fight. Uh, Elijah Garcia there, he should win that fight. Like, I... I think if I was grading it, I'd call it probably a C or a C minus level undercard. What do you think? I mean, I've given up on expecting good undercards at this point in boxing. It just, like you said, it's a financial issue with how much money is being allocated to the main event, especially in this fight. And you, you know, you and I, you ask any promoter, they always say the same thing, right? Nobody's buying for the undercard. 
So promoters, the promoters in boxing right now have decided that they don't really have to put a lot of effort. Uh, and I'm not singling any one promoter, but just collectively, that's not really a point of emphasis for them. I mean, I think the Ghana, you know, they had that Lucas Matisse, like Danny Garcia co-feature, it's a Mayweather Canelo. Uh, that, that to me was probably the last great co-feature fight on a pay-per-view and a major one of that. I don't know if we're ever seeing that one again. So, but I will say, you know, we have a lot of fights that don't belong on pay-per-view and this one does at least belong there. I have no issue paying for this one. No, none whatsoever. It's going to be a great fight. Don't blink. See what happens. Top of the card. And I'm looking forward to watching that one for sure. Um, all right. So this weekend, we've got Shakur Stevenson back in action. He is making his debut at 135 pounds. A two-division world champion, 126, 130. Missed weight in his last fight against Ropes and Kinsesa, uh, but he moves up to 135. Uh, look, he asked everybody to to fight him. You know, couldn't get anybody to say yes to him. So now he's got to settle on kind of a homecoming fight in New Jersey against Yoshiro uh, Yoshino. Um, I guess the question is, like, are your expectations for Shakur Stevenson at 135 to be as effective as he was at 126 and 130? Absolutely. I think Shakur Stevenson is going to be the pound-for-pound king. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I've, everyone you talk to in boxing says the same thing. This guy is a Camus fighter. He, by all accounts, trains really hard and doesn't have any issues there. He's an incredible talent, um, and he just hasn't had the opponent yet to prove it. And I, like you said, I don't think it's any fault of his own. He's been calling for these fights, but you know, I think people see how hard it is to look good against him. He's arguably the best defensive fighter in all of boxing. He's only getting better, and he's kind of a big guy, big frame. So I think he's going to even go higher than 135. I think we'll see him at 147 before it's all said and done. But I, I do believe, yeah, I, I do believe that. And I'm with you. This is kind of a homecoming fight. It's hard to get excited about this one. But maybe it's a good showcase for Shakur, and hopefully we get Shakur against either Devin Haney or Vasily Lomachenko at some point. Yeah, what's your take on that? Because I'm of the belief that if Haney wins, he's gone. Like, he's going up to 140. Um, he's not going to try to make 135 anymore. I don't think there's a real interest in... Team Haney's camp in a Shakur fight at this point. Not that there never would be, but you know, I, I think Devin is outgrowing this weight class rapidly. I think he's staying because he's always wanted to fight Lomachenko and he believes wholeheartedly that he will beat Lomachenko. I, I don't think he has that feeling, uh, at least in terms of passion to fight someone against uh, Shakur Stevenson. Loma, I think, will fight him. Like if Loma comes out of this fight with a win, he'll go straight into a Shakur fight. Loma doesn't want any kind of tune-up fights. He wants big-time, marketable, money-making fights. Uh, is that your read on it, too? I, I was with uh, Devin Haney last week in L.A. I asked him this question about Shakur. He said that he's going to wait and see how his body feels after the fight. He said he's open to fighting at 135 again, but he just wants to see how it feels. And he says it's a, you know, he said it's a big, big fight, obviously. But I do wonder, you know, we've heard you know, Bob Arum say in the past many times the marination thing. Is this fight, for how much it's going to cost, and for how risky it is for both sides, is this really the right time for this fight? I don't. Of course, I want to see these see the fight, but I'm saying from the promoter standpoint, are they really going to try to deliver the fight? What do you think? Uh, I I don't because Devin's made a ton of money the last couple of years. I mean, he had to go to Australia a couple of times, but he was paid very very well to do that. He is being well compensated for this Lomachenko fight. Every time Shakur fights, his price goes up. Like he's he's becoming uh, an expensive guy. I just don't think that the pay per view buys would be there yet 
for Devin Haney, Shakur Stevenson. Look, they're both in their mid-20s. Like, uh, look, I'm all for making big fights happen sooner rather than later, but I don't mind waiting another year to see that fight potentially. I wonder, though, like, I do think Uncle Eddie is going to be calling young Devin Haney when this next fight with Lomachenko is over. Because Eddie's kind of a player now. Not the top rank isn't, but Eddie's kind of a player now in the 140-pound division as well. Uh, the, the zone, quote, side of the street, could also include Ryan Garcia in the foreseeable future at 140. I think Eddie Hearn is going to make a play for Devin Haney. But Devin's been smart in doing these kind of short-term deals, two and three fight deals that give him some flexibility, you know, within a couple of years to do whatever fight he wants. And I love that. You know, we see that a lot with veteran fighters. Floyd Mayweather did that. Miguel Cotto did that. Manny Pacquiao, to a certain degree, did that. But guys Devin's age don't often have the kind of control over their career that uh, that they should. Uh, but Devin Haney has that. So even if he goes to Eddie, I think a Shakur fight is is likely down the line. I, I just think from every time I talk to people around Haney, all I hear about is how tough it is to make this weight. And, and I remember seeing yeah. him in the second fight against Cambosis, and you saw him at the weigh-in, man. Like, you saw his face. Like, it was so drawn. He wore sunglasses the entire time. To his credit, he's making the weight, like, incredible like he's professional but I don't get the sense he wants to do that anymore after this fight I think Lomachenko and then 140 here he comes yeah and I agree full credit to Devin Haney taking control of his career because he gets to fight whoever he wants to fight really and if he does stay with top rank for one more fight I mean how big is a Devin Haney versus Josh Taylor fight later this year or even Tiafimo Lopez I said I said Josh Taylor because he's the favorite but Haney if he beats Lomachenko versus the winner of Taylor versus Lopez at 140 I think is a it's not a monster commercial fight, but it's a monster fight for boxing fans. Oh, it's huge. And, and then if you're Devin Haney, you can start talking about Ryan Garcia. Those two guys have been circling each other since the amateur days. They fought five times in the amateurs. Um, you know, whatever happens with Ryan and Tank. I mean, imagine if Ryan beats Tank. Or, or, or Haney fight would be even bigger at that point. But it's going to be big no matter what. And there are a lot of good options for him at 140. I mean, Regis Progress is kind of just out there. I don't think anyone's going to fight Regis Progray. He might just, you know, <laughs> just be hanging out for the rest of his career, just sort of doing nothing. But that's a big fight. Um, yeah, I, if I'm Devin Haney, I'm continuing to do exactly what I've been doing. He was kind of a Showtime fighter early on that wasn't affiliated with PBC. He goes to Matchroom, makes a bunch of money, wins a world title. He goes to top rank, gets two big paydays in the undisputed championship at 135, and now in his mid twenties, do whatever he wants. Like I just, it's it's incredible. Kudos to Devin Haney and his team for 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 doing that the way they did. But we'll see what happens with him after Lomachenko. Uh, last thing I want to talk about: Bam Rodriguez back on Saturday, dropping down in weight. You don't often see this in boxing, where a title holder drops down in weight in pursuit of another world championship. Usually. It's the other way around. Bam Rodriguez uh, is going down to 112 to face uh, Christopher Gonzalez. And look, I'm pretty optimistic that Bam is going to be fine. But look, it doesn't always, it's not always successful where guys drop down in weight and, you know, have the same level of success. I mean, Manny Pacquiao did it, you know, years ago. Um, Nonito Donaire, more recently, he did it, dropping down in weight. But you've got some high-profile examples of failure. Chad Dawson famously went to 168 and got beat up by Andre Ward. Um, Glenn Johnson, I think, has done it a couple of times. So what are your thoughts on Bam going back down to 112 for a world title fight? 
Well, first off, this is going to be his first full-fledged world title that he's fighting for because the last title was, of course, with the nonsense WBC franchise title held by Juan Francisco Estrada for no reason seemingly at all other than extra sanctioning fees. So I, I, I like it because 112 is now heating up, uh, especially on the matchroom side. I mean, Sonny Edwards is a fantastic fighter and a great personality. I would love to see Sonny Edwards against Bam Rodriguez. Still have Julio Cesar Martinez out there with matchroom at 112 with a title. So I think Bam Rodriguez is certainly going to be in a big unification fight later this year. But you're right. It doesn't always work out. I mean, I think the, the example that comes to me is Oscar De La Hoya, you know, draining himself to fight Manny Pacquiao at 147, looking like a zombie and getting absolutely eviscerated. And then, of course, Roy Jones Jr., after he beat John Ruiz at heavyweight to win a title, comes back and gets completely iced by Tarver at 175. So, look, this isn't as big a jump. But it's not about the three pounds, it's more percentages. So it's not the easiest thing in the world. But he's not fighting a live body. I think Bam Rodriguez is like a 30 to 1 favorite or something wild. I'm sure he'll be fine. Yeah, and he's 23 years old, so that works in his favor. A lot easier to lose weight at 23 than it is at 33, that's for sure. Certainly at 43. I can attest to that. <laughs> um, and I think it's a smart play for the reasons that you outlined. There, there's money at 112 now. There's money at 115, but he's got his brother there trying to do his thing. And uh, at 112, you can make some marketable fights. Sonny Edwards is a solid unification fight. I personally would prefer a Martinez fight because I think that's like rock'em, sock'em robot. That's a far more aesthetically appealing fight than Sonny Edwards, which would be, I think, more of a chess match and a boxing match than the brawl that Martinez would be. But both those are, are good fights. Sonny Edwards now just signed with Matchroom, as you said, Julio Cesar Martinez associated with Matchroom as well. They're both big-time fights. But look, Bam Rodriguez was at the very least top five for fighter of the year last year. It's the kind of year where, you know, he's fighting now early April. He could be fighter of the year this year, too, if he gets a couple of unification fights. Yeah, if he, gets, if he beats Edwards and Martinez and has, you know, ends up with the year with three titles and 112 and victories over those two guys, absolutely. And I see your point on the Martinez fight, but look, we know who wins that fight. There's no reasonable yeah. way to see Martinez beating Bam Rodriguez. Sonny Edwards, on the other hand, I think is very underrated. He's a defensive master. And I, I don't think it necessarily is the worst fight, in my opinion, stylistically. Because so I think Bam Rodriguez has shown that he's willing to come forward and press the fight. And Sonny Edwards will be on the back foot trying to jab. And usually I like those boxer versus pressure fighter style clashes. So I, and, and the lead-up, too. How great would the lead-up be with Sonny Edwards' trash talk? Sonny Edwards' trash talk is weird, man. Like, is he fight his brother at some point? Like, is that is that a shtick, or do you think that's real? Like, Sonny Edwards versus Charlie Edwards? Like, they are they seem to be have... It, it seems kind of real to me when I, I follow it on social media. I mean, I would look, I wish we could get one of those fights at some point. You know, we always talk about the Klitschko's fighting each other, and then you have the Marquez... I don't want to see, see brothers beat the shit out of each other. I, I, don't, I don't need to see that. I, I don't... <laughs> I mean, like, who wants to see family members okay. clobber each other? It's not Jerry Springer. Like, who wants to see these guys go toe-to-toe? -to -toe? We're not all masochists. We're, we're working in the boxing industry. I mean, you you wouldn't have... How big would Vladimir Klitschko versus Vitaly Klitschko have been? Oh, it would have been huge. Mega fight. I, I, remember, I, I remember, like, 10 years ago, I was on, like, PlayStation or something like that, and I started tweeting out live commentary of Klitschko <laughs> versus Klitschko from Fight Night, whatever the last Fight Night was. Um and it was shocking how many people engaged on it. Like, wow, I can't believe I'm following along a fake fight on a video game. Uh, but it would have been massive, no doubt about it. I, although, I mean, Sonny Edwards, I mean, how big is he in the UK? Charlie Edwards, how big is he 
in the UK. I don't expect that fight, if it ever happened to be, you know, a brawl, like maybe the Klitschko's would turn into, um, uh, like, or the Charlos. You can imagine those two guys going at each other. Um, but I, I don't know. It doesn't, I don't, I don't get, I don't get hyped up for Edwards versus Edwards. In fact, I think it's kind of weird. Well, look, I, I'm mostly joking. I, yeah, you're right about that. Like, you don't want to see brothers hurt each other, and it's probably a boring fight because they probably won't want to, unless it's just ultra competitive. But we're missing the obvious angle here, Chris, right? You work for the zone, tag team boxing. Sonny Edwards and Charlie Edwards <laughs> against Bam Rodriguez and Joshua ah, Franco. Where you going? There, I mean, that's yes. a. There you go. That's your. That's your next fight. Oh my God! Could you imagine? I mean, tag team boxing is now a thing on the zone. <laughs> I can't believe that the commissions in the UK agreed to allow it. Uh, I don't imagine that Nevada. New York or even Texas would allow it, but Texas won't allow it. I, I don't know, man. That's that's another thing. Like <laughs> you got a concussion, so you tag your <laughs> brother in. <laughs> I mean, it's not WWE. It's not you know those. Oh God, my body's broken from a frog splash. I got to get up. I don't know. Hey, we saw some serious know. injuries on WrestleMania this weekend. I don't know about hey, that. We did. Those guys are those guys are wild, man. Those guys. They get it done. They get it done. Shane McMahon, that was a weird one, but that's a, a story for, for another day. Uh, follow Mike Coppinger on Twitter, at Mike Coppinger. Read his stuff over at ESPN.com. Always good to catch up, Mike. Thanks for the uh, insight. All right, thanks for having me, Chris. And when we come back, my conversation with Shakur Stevenson. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. All right, Shakur Stevenson is here, two-division world champion, huge fan of mine, as he tells everybody all the time. He is back Saturday, making his debut at 135 pounds against Yoshiro Yoshino, and he joins me on the show. Sure, uh, Shakur, how many opponents passed on this fight before you got Yoshino to say yes? 
Um, I think it was three or four altogether. Um, I think it was Isaac Cruz, uh, Zapata, Cambosis. Yeah, three, three, three opponents said no. Top level. Are you used to that by now? I mean, yeah and no. I mean, I think that boxing lets certain fighters get away with ducking. I think that if it was me, um, black young fighters saying no to fights, I think that they would broadcast it and tell the whole world that I was scared, like they did Floyd when he before he fought Pacquiao. Mm -hmm. Do you, I mean you've said you were okay with Cambosis passing on that fight because of you know he already had two fights with Devin. Was there one guy that passed that really pissed you off? Um, I think it was two guys. I think Isaac Cruz pissed me off because of the fact that his excuse was um that I was gonna be running and you seen my last few fights. I've been standing in a pocket, <laughs> um, beating people up. So uh I disagree with that. So that kind of pissed me off. Um my next fight, I mean the next one that pissed me off was Zapata. I think Zapata pissed me off because if he was really looking for an opportunity. Uh, a fight versus me would have been a perfect opportunity. And it seemed like he wanted the fight. It just seemed like De La Hoya didn't want to allow the fight to happen. But I think that's where um, he got to put his foot down and let them know that that fight is definitely happening and they can't do nothing about it. Cruz is weird, man. Like, he, he's got a little Raleigh Romero to him where he thinks that he deserves something because he lost to Gervonta Davis. Like, he's gotten a little kind of big for his britches, I feel like, since he lost that fight uh, to Gervonta. I would love, though, Shakur, someday, hopefully soon, you and Zapata would be fun. Like, that is a great clash of styles, I think. Zapata throws a million punches. You're as skilled as they get in any weight class. Like, that, to me, is one of the most fun fights you can make at lightweight. I agree with that. I, I think that me and him will be a real, real fun fight. It'll be an entertaining, exciting fight because of the fact that he's going to push the pace and try to bring the pressure. And um, nothing that I... I'm bringing, he would think in his brain would stop him until he get up in the ring. But, <laughs> um, you know, we focus on Yoshino, man. We can't yeah, be I, talking about him. I seen him yesterday. He looked real confident. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I mean, for you, when you have so many guys kind of say no, does it make it harder at all to kind of train for a fight like this, to get up for a fight like this? Nah, not at all. I think that... Um, I'm the type of person I don't listen to narratives. Like I don't I told you I'm a lot um more wiser than I was years ago. So I don't listen to narratives that, oh, this guy is not good or um that's how upsets happen. That's how you see some big upsets happen in boxing. A lot of people then wouldn't have known that Anthony Joshua would have lost to Andy Ruiz. A lot of people would have felt, oh, easy fight. Um then you get in there and you believe a narrative that this guy is not as good as um they saying, you know, everybody saying he's not that good, and you believe that same narrative. You go in there and you be lackadaisical and you let off the gas. So I don't listen to narratives. I think this dude is, he may be the toughest opponent of my life. Whoever would know until you get in the ring with somebody, and you don't know how much he trained to high in shape he will be. So I got to take him as I'm fighting um, the biggest fight of my life right now, and that's how I look at this fight. So it's not hard to stay motivated at all. Yeah, he's got some legit power, that's for sure. At least he's shown that in in recent fights. Um, I've heard you say in interviews recently that your focus right now is on a completely different level. Explain that to me. Why is your focus so much better right now? I think that my focus got a lot better with um, just paying attention to my daughter and looking at her and 
knowingly like I want to provide for her for the rest of her life and make sure that she's good forever. So um, that and honestly, I just been sitting down thinking and I've been seeing uh, boxing been going up to like a different level now. I've been seeing all the guys fighting each other and I get motivated. I, I want to be the best. So uh, I'm one of them fighters. I want to prove that I'm the best. I want to be the best. I'm not scared of taking any risk when it comes to it. And um, I think right now it's the time. Like, uh, time is getting a lot closer now. I'm 25. Them big fights is really close. Like, they could be happen maybe next fight or next year. So I got to be on the top of my A game, man. I think that's what's been making my focus go a lot more up. What's your favorite thing about being a father? Favorite thing about being a father? Um... I mean, I don't really got no favorite thing because at the end of the day, um, I'm just enjoying the moment. I'm just enjoying watching her grow every every single day. So um, maybe a favorite thing is uh, her smile. Hmm. You know, um, I, I got I, I got dimples and my daughter got dimples too. So like it's a beautiful thing when she's like smiling and happy. And um, uh, that's like some of the best moments that I'll be having. What's your least favorite thing? Um, changing diapers <laughs> changing diapers is my least favorite for sure um the, as i mentioned your first fight now at lightweight when did you know that you were done at 130 pounds when i didn't make weight but honestly like looking at it looking back on it now um i had some disciplines that i gotta take um fought on i i had a six-week camp I didn't have like a long camp. You know, I'm always training year round, but um, being that I was big for the weight class, I shouldn't have had no six week camp. I should have did a longer camp and um, cut that weight the right way. So I, I take fault in, in my mess ups and I can't look back on it and dwell on it though. So it happened. I'm moving on, but I think um, it was my fault that I didn't make the weight. And I honestly feel like, if I had to go back down to 130, I can, but I wouldn't do it unless it's like a big, big fight. But all the big fights at 135, so the little guy is here and he's coming to take over. Did you feel like you accomplished everything you possibly could at 130? You won two belts, uh, but do you feel like you you got everything out of it that you could? I mean, I could have been undisputed at 130. You could say that, but that um, it. You know, if I'd have went and did that, it'd have been. I don't think that would have been too hard, to be honest. So the <laughs> champions that was there, they solid. But we being honest, none of them could do anything with me. So um, as the people is putting out, the real competition is at 135. So I'm here now. And like I said, the little guy is here to, ter- to take over. Yeah, I got a little bit excited about the Cordina fight after Cordina had that loss, but or that that win. Uh, but you know, maybe down the line, you know, that could be a big fight at 135. Uh, second Cordina straight. Can't do he it's can't a fun do nothing fight, with though. me. He's a good fighter, but he, he can't do nothing with me. I've been around him for years. Mm. Um, we came up in amateurs together. We went to the Olympics together. I'm a whole different animal. Well, I'll give you a chance to go to the UK and get a big fight there. That'd be fun. Yeah, if he if he could, you know, help sell sell it out. I think I'll be the name if I go there. So, <laughs> um, second straight fight for you in your hometown of Newark. Uh, were you a Marvin Hagler guy? Kind of growing up, obviously too young to see him, but like, were you a fan of Hagler's style being from the same town? Actually, uh, see, I'm a real honest guy, so I'm going to say no. But when I turned pro, 
I realized how great he was. Like I went back and watched mm-hmm. more fights. I watched him versus Sugar Ray Leonard. I watched him like out of all the four dudes, I say he might have been like either number one. Like he's right there with all, all of them because you got to realize in all them fights, he really won and beat everybody else besides Sugar Ray Leonard. So it's like he he could be number one and everybody else lost to one another when Marvin Hagler was the only guy who really beat all them dudes. And some people argue that he beat Sugar Ray Leonard too. So I, I think everyone related to Marvin Hagler would argue that he beat Sugar Ray Leonard uh, in that fight. But he like he was another guy that, you know, maybe not on the same level, but he had a hard time getting fights for a lot of years. You know, you, in in a way you you've had two, you know, big or at least two titles, uh, two title reigns and two divisions. But can you relate to that a little bit? Like just struggling to to get those big fights made? I yeah, I definitely could relate, but you gotta realize um these fighters they don't like losing. Like taking the L on their record, um, it's not something that they wanna sign up for. So they gonna say no to fighters like me and um like you said, Marvin Hagler, because they know what they dealing with. That's that's a really hard fight to win at the end of the day. Um, everybody knew they signed up to fight Marvin Hagler. He was gritty, tough, um, was going to put punishment, and he knew how to win. So at the end of the day, um, fighters like us, uh, they it's going to be hard for a lot of people to sign up to fighters. And that um, goes along with the bigger fighters in the division too. Um, I'm interested to see if they um, say yes to me too because at the end of the day, I'm a bad motherfucker when it comes to this boxing shit. <laughs> Ray Leonard once told me that he, he said after the fight with Hagler, he saw him at like some event in Vegas and he went up to him and he said, you know, Marvin, let's do the rematch. Let's do the rematch. And Hagler looked at him and said, get a life, Ray. <laughs> so he wasn't <laughs> going to do it. It's just, he went, that guy, when he, when he made up his mind, he, he was done. He was done. Um, yeah. He felt like he got robbed, right? He, he did. He did. He wasn't giving Ray the rematch. He went off to live in Italy and do B movies and whatever the hell he was doing uh, over there for, <laughs> Actually, I went to Italy when I was a kid, and I saw him on the uh, TV. I swear to God. (laughs) I went to Italy for a tournament, um, actually a training camp before a tournament, and I'm right there. I'm watching TV. I don't know why I'm even watching TV. I don't understand what's on the TV, but I swear he popped up on the screen. I'm like, yo, look at Marvin Hagler. It's so so great. He was in so many weird movies uh, later on in life, and he lived happily ever after over there for for a long time. Um, The belts that you're after are going to be on the line May 20th. Like, what's your mindset watching that? Like, are you, I know you're friendly with Devin under the same promotional banner as Loma. If Devin wins, I think we both agree he's going to, he's gone. Like, he's going to go up to 140 and, and try different things. So, if he won, you'd have a chance at a vacant title. If Loma wins, like, you could conceivably fight for all four belts in your next fight. Like, do you have a rooting interest in that fight? No, nah, I really don't. I can't. I'm I'm, I'm real at the end of the day, so I'm not going to go against the grain. Um, I, just because, you know, the situations will be better for me. I still would like to see Devin win that fight. Like you said, I was cool with him. But um, if he do wins and he do decides to stay at 135, I'm definitely down for a big fight. Um, if he want to give me an opportunity at them belts, um, I definitely would enjoy that fight. And um, I would enjoy becoming a champion. Yeah, that'd be a great fight uh, at 135, even 140. I know you've said in the past, maybe you guys will meet at that next weight class, but 
uh, it's a great fight either way. Um, last thing for you. We saw with top rank last weekend, Robesio Ramirez won his first title at 126. You fought him in the Olympics. I know how much that loss hurt you. I was there in Rio talking to you after that loss. Is that is a fight with Ramirez in the pros on your mind? Yeah, and no, because um, it's all depending on how big he gets. Like me right now, it's weird though, because we was close to the same weight when I seen him at uh, Vegas. But me right now, um, I like I know like what level I'm on. I know who I am, so I'm not like fiending for it. But like I would love to get in the ring. Like, I even asked, um, could I spar home just to, you know, just get in the ring and, you know, see what's going on. But um, uh, happy for him. He did with his thing. Uh, they ain't taking nothing. I can't take nothing away from him, but um, good for him. I, I'm proud of him. Uh, he's a good friend, and I can't uh, wait to, he, if he gave me the chance to, like, let me get some sparring, then I will enjoy that. You got to fatten him up, man. Get him up to... 130, 135, so top rank could make that fight. When he was in the gym with me and like we was uh shadow box when we was training, they got like a video of us. We was like four pounds away from each other. <laughs> he told uh people his weight, and I thought to myself, like, man, we close to the same weight. So it's like I mean, I if it came down to it, I would definitely be down. But I know he's like a little guy. He's not getting no bigger. I know he's gonna stay at one twenty six for as long as he can. But I'll be at 135 for a really long time, so. Yeah, 135, first fight this Saturday, back in Newark, back on ESPN against Shashiro Yoshino. Uh, Shakur, always good to catch up, man. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too, Chris. All right, before I get to this week's picks, I want to apologize to the audience for an egregious mistake I made last week. Uh, Last week, I bet on Anthony Joshua to win between rounds 7 through 12. Uh, the mistake that I made was believing that including included in that bet was a decision. So that if it went 12, I would win my bet. I don't know why I thought that. But I promise you, I was sitting at the hotel bar in California watching the fight on my phone. And when the fight went the distance and the bell rang to end the 12th round... I fist-pumped, I high-fived people, I was all over the place because I thought I won! And like 10 minutes later, I start to look at the bet going, wait a minute, that's that's not that's not right. Texted a few people, turned out I was wrong, felt like a real jackass. So I apologize to the audience. I meant to take Joshua by decision. That was kind of how I felt that fight was going to go. Instead, I told you to bet rounds 6 through 12. So, I promised to be extra careful moving forward with how I make these bets. So this week, we've got a world title fight down in Texas, a Shakur Stevenson fight in New Jersey. Both these fights, uh, substantial odds in favor of the favorite. So I'm going to look at the Shakur Stevenson fight versus Yoshino, that fight in Newark, New Jersey on ESPN. Uh, Shakur right now, minus 1,600. Not going to win a lot of money there. But I think Shakur Stevenson is great at 135 or will be great at 135. I think he's a pound for pound talent. I think he beats Yoshino comfortably. Um, so if you want to put a lot of money on it, you're going to have a chance to make some money back because I think Shakur Stevenson deserves to be a massive favorite uh, in that fight. Uh, Shakur Stevenson by points or decision. 
that's the bet I would make where you could load up a little more and make a little bit more money. Minus 210, according to FanDuel, for Shakur Stevenson to win by points or decision. I don't think he gets the stoppage against Yoshino. Yoshino's a tough guy, comfortable at this weight class. I think Shakur might be feeling himself out a little bit, trying to figure out how strong he is at this weight, how many, how, how much power he can take at this weight. So Shakur Stevenson, by points or decision, is where I would go with my money this weekend. So Shakur Stevenson to win. That's an easy one. Shakur Stevenson, by points or decision, that is your chance to make a little bit of money if you load up on that bet. Those are my picks. Good luck this weekend. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Mike Coppinger and Shakur Stevenson for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that! Shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.